Welcome to the Imagine Place podcast. I'm your host, Doug Shapiro, and I'm searching for voices that can help inspire a more creative and courageous youth. What does the journey look like to step into a deeper life? Today, Vijay Gupta is our guide. Vijay is an artist known for both his violin mastery and his big heart. After Vijay's keynote at the Environments for Aging Expo in 2023, there was not a dry eye in the building, or so I was told. I wasn't there, but my colleague Lauren Morgan was. And after the speech, she called me and it went a little something like this. Please, 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 Doug, if you do anything this year, get Vijay Gupta on the podcast. So I did my research and yeah, Lauren's right. He is legit. Our discussion today explores two enlightening themes. First, Vijay shares his foundation for creating truth and connection. And then we discuss the importance of generosity and how giving your gifts away just could be the key to finding purpose. As someone who listens to a lot of voices too, I have to say, Vijay has an awesome voice. This is an A plus listen. Hope you enjoy. I listened to you speak and you speak with such passion. So I'm curious about the role of performance and being a violinist and developing this other craft now, which is really inspiring others through your voice and your words. Mm. 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 It's an interesting question. The way that I was trained to think about performance is very different than what I think about today. Um, Because the way that I was trained as a classical conservatory musician was you don't show the audience everything. You know, you kind of operate behind what we call the fourth wall, you know, and in theater, they talk about this concept of the fourth wall. But to me, it's really a metaphor for the veneer of professionalism, you know, Mm. perhaps in the medical world, one might call that bedside manner (laughs) or what it means to, you know, like be corporate sort of thing. But I, I think in a sense, like there is a version of performance which is vulnerable sharing of absolute authentic truth and that truth is it doesn't only come from the person who occupies the podium or the microphone or the stage authentic true performance is co-created right it exists between the audience and the performer it's a truth that is found in the room mm. but then there's also the performance that is a lie right the performative right the thing that we kind of have to say in order to prove a point or shove our perspective down someone's throat it doesn't really come with dialogue you know yeah. what I mean? And it's it's not something that's co-created. And so, you know, as a professional classical musician, the thing that I was taught was, you know, be bulletproof. Make sure that you don't make any mistakes. Don't screw up. It's almost a kind of like, 
Um, you know, I, I was trained kind of similarly to the way that Olympic gymnasts are trained. You know, it's like between microns of accuracy that have to be perfect. Wow. And that is the standard that I place upon myself. Right. It's the standard that comes with being of service to the incredible expressions of music that we get to do as a living. But is that what truly serves the audience? Mm. And I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure where our sort of self-imposed veneer of perfect actually is an offering. And when I think about speaking or performing, I want to offer something to my audience. The place to think about perfection is in my practice room, uh, right? It's yeah. in my studio. It's in, it's in the gym. It's in my training. But when I'm actually in front of an audience, I got to let go of all of that bullshit in my head and be present actually be really present. And how do I then convey that moment and the preciousness of that moment to an audience? Wow. Because all we have is this moment right now. This is it. This is all that exists. Total, total goosebumps right now. Seriously. Uh, I, I am so moved by that. And there's such a, I mean, I don't know if it's a confidence that takes time to develop where you say, now I'm going to speak from the heart and just trust myself. Um, that probably doesn't come naturally to anyone, right? Most people will do the opposite. They will search for all the right things to say versus trusting their gut or their heart. Mm. I wonder how much of that is fear. Yeah. Right? And, and, and how much of that is the fear of judgment, um, the fear of, of not making, uh, you know, uh, the, the fear of making the imperfect offering. But I, I think about what Leonard Cohen said, you know, like, forget your perfect offering, mm. right? Like, re like ring, ring the bells that are cracked, because we've got to ring the bell, right? And I, I think about the writer, Seth Godin, the amazing marketer and writer. And, and I was really shaped by a book um, that I read during the pandemic of his called The Practice, and the the subtitle of the book is Shipping Creative Work. And he talks about how makers of any kind, whether they're artists or bakers, um, need to constantly be shipping creative work to create a relationship with an audience of some kind, right? And this idea that, you know, influencers like Tim Ferriss, I mean, Tim Ferriss is much more than an influencer, but it's the kind of thing that they talk about having a hundred, a thousand true fans. To whom are you making the offering and to what end, right? Yeah. And I think that this is, this is a place where we can all sort of enter into that equation, right? Where it's like, if you have a family, if you have a dog, if you have a goldfish, you know, you have someone to whom you are making the offering of your intent of your attention with intention yeah right yeah. and i think you know may maybe that doesn't have to be any more than i'm going to show up i'm going to show up with my whole self right now this is how i choose to show up if this offering is not received well then that's not entirely on me 
I can shift and change and adjust, but that's something that we're creating together. So I don't know if, if that speaks to some of the the reticence I think that some folks have of like, if it's not perfect, I can't offer it. And I don't know if that's true. Yeah. I think we should offer we should offer it with intention, even if it's small, even if we know it's imperfect. Like Jerry Seinfeld says, is this anything? Is this anything? Yeah. yeah. Right. That's the you offering. Gotta, that's you the gotta offering. ring the bell. I love that. Because yeah. the bell needs to be rung. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> That's so good. I'm really, really connecting with this personally. Um, just having hosted a podcast now for three years and the journey that you go on in terms of, is this anything, you know, uh, it's, that's all part of it. If it's all right, I'd love to get into your past a little bit. So just doing my research, I, I heard you use the phrase, I had two Bengal tigers as parents. <laughs> and I love that. And I just, uh, you know, I, I have an opportunity to talk about who you are in the introduction. I want to hear from you how you became who you are. Well, thank you, Doug. And when I say that I have two Bengal tiger parents as as parents, I mean, first of all, my parents came from Bengal, which makes the Bengal part, you know, understandable. Um, but, you know, they are, you know, my, my father has passed, um, but, but, you know, both of my parents when I was a kid um, saw me and my younger brother as their reason for existing. And I can't imagine the sort of fracturing of immigration that they had to experience of what it was for them to build a life. My dad was a travel agent. Um, and I grew up listening to him speaking multiple languages, you know, Bengali, Punjabi, Hindi, a little bit of Gujarati, you know, all these different languages. And he put on these different identities in order to connect with other Indian and South Asian families in the area where I was growing up in Mid-Hudson Valley, New York. And his main job was to make sure that the family who needed to get back home could do that as quickly and painlessly as possible. And at the same time, he missed home so much, you know, and, and it was clear to him. And it was a thing that I never understood what it meant to pine for another place because I now pine for the woods of the Mid-Hudson Valley of New York. Like, that's home for me, you know, like growing up in the middle of the Appalachian Mountains. Like, that's that was that's what I pine for. But he was pining for a home that was never my home. And I think that that is the story for so many of, you know, us in the world who are children, not only children of immigrants and immigration, but children of displacement, right? That we want different things than what our parents wanted. And for me, when I was a child, you know, I think that I was in my own way, my parents' salvation, right? I, I was I was the way that they could prove themselves to the world. So the ways in which, in which they drove me, whether it was uh, something that I wanted or not, um, was about addressing the demons that they were facing in their lives. So, you know, I say it now with um, understanding and compassion for the fact that I'm here both because of and in spite of my parents, you know, and there were aspects of my childhood that were extremely hard, but I was also raised with a value system that was rooted in Hindu spirituality. And one of the core tenets of the belief that 
I grew up understanding from my parents' religious practice was that all people are sacred, all beings are are divine, and my parents had a daily spiritual practice that they enacted in front of an altar where they offered incense and fruits and flowers to these deities. And I guess the the place, the way that my life unfolded was by understanding that that offering didn't only have to be made at an altar. That offering could be made at a stage. That offer offering could be made in a shelter, in a clinic, in a county jail, in a prison, because that was the same as praying. That practicing was the same as praying. And even now, like when I practice at home, or even like when I work out at home, when I train my body, I see that as praying. I see writing as praying. And so, you know, that that sort of is one of the most profound lessons I think I received from my parents is the power of prayer and living your life as if it is uh, a prayer. So the the podcast, the the mission is to inspire more courage and more curiosity in the field of design. This depth that you have, it, it's important in the field of design because you are, you know, if you think of the impact of a place that you love, right? You remember your first home and the places in that home that meant something special to you and the you can imagine those the the colors you can imagine the textures of that environment, right? And these are places, in many cases, that are designed, right? Thoughtfully designed. And the impact that a designer can have just on the memories of our lives and, and what we create, there's a ton of depth. How, how, how do we train ourselves to not accept things on the surface, but to dig mm. deeper and understand the world in a way in which you do? And I, I you know, you're... I, I, what what got you here? I don't know if you can feel hmm. what I'm trying to ask, but I'm trying to ask: How do we get to that place of depth and knowledge that you've you've made it to? Hmm. Well, I, I'm very touched by by the way that you're regarding me. I, I'm thank you for that. I receive that as as a tremendous honor, and you know, I I don't think in any way that I'm done. <laughs> And I, I, I wonder, I wonder if it really is the idea of practice, right? I mean, uh, one of the most profound shifts in my life as an artist was when I stopped thinking about art and music as a thing, as a noun, but rather thinking of it as a verb, mm. right? That there is the the sort of idea of music that exists on a stage that's you know printed music on a page um but then there's also that conduit of music right the conveyance the vehicle of music that allows us to connect to one another and design does that but love does that right relationships do that the the feeling of resonance and home and justice and learning all of these beautiful things prayer can we ever say we're done praying no then you're done existing <laughs> right yeah. or that you're done loving you know or that you're done learning so i think that that's one piece yeah. is that um in a world in which 
we predicate so much of our worth on expertise. I think we've done ourselves a great disservice in thinking that we're at any point done acquiring more skills or more ways. Um, and I mean, we can get into a whole conversation about the the failings of academic systems, um, which sort of say, okay, well, now we're done. You know, and this, I think, exists in every field. Like, I've got the letters at the end of my name. I'm done learning. <laughs> and I think that, that that's a serious problem mm. that we have to confront. And so for myself, and I'll, I'll, I'm curious how that lands, but for myself, um, I love reading. I, I, I mean, I think, I think, you know, Walt Whitman via Ted Lasso was totally right. Like, be curious. Be curious. Right? Yeah. Like, I... I find myself being very curious about a lot of things. And so I have a personality trait that's tended towards openness. Like I will take in everything. And I feel like I'm working towards finding points of integration where I can take in that everything that inspires me and keep track of them, write them down, and then find ways to bring that inspiration as an offering to others yeah. in some way, whether it's through my concerts, um, you know, a, a profound book I read during the pandemic was called The Gift by Lewis Hyde. And he talks about something that like the UCLA basketball coach, John Wooden talked about, which is, you know, give it away to get it back. Right. I, I think that the scarcity mindset, the expertise mindset that we live in keeps our gifts close to our chest and close to who we are. Whereas to understand who we are, we have to give the gifts we didn't even know we had. You know, and I think that that for me is why I go to Skid Row to make music with people who don't have what we would call a conventional home. That's where I remember what my purpose is as a human being, that we all have something to give. You know, and then we understand who we are through that act of reciprocal generosity. Yeah, yeah. I I almost take it back full circle. I think maybe some of the reasons why we don't give as freely is, is fear. You know, I don't think it's, it might be a scarcity mindset, but I also think it's just fear of people accepting what you might offer. I loved your advice on getting deep and the danger of being an expert, the danger of feeling like you're done. I want you to put yourself maybe in the shoes of my listeners. And I think one of the things they are always trying to do better is just be more powerful in their communication, be more persuasive in their communication. You're such a great communicator what would be just a little piece of advice to say, hey, here's how, you know, you can really lean into what you're great at and be a charismatic communicator? Well, you know, for me, I find myself, and I, again, I, I, this is what comes from me, not as an expert, <laughs> but just as someone who, um, has my own style. So everyone will find their own style, but I always find myself going to the anecdotal, going to the story, going to even uh, a, a myth, you know, of, of some kind or some, some moment where the ultimate sort of end point 
that I want to arrive at, that I want to convince the other person on the side of the other side of the table who I'm talking to, um, how to get them, how to get us on the same page here. And there are times that I'm successful and times that I'm not. <laughs> but one of the things that I find to be helpful is to get really curious about understanding what the other person's bottom line is. You know, understanding what their values are and what animates their values, what stories animate their values. And I think as an artist and as a musician, um, I'm always moved as someone who lives on the West Coast to kind of leave what can be, you know, very rightfully called my liberal bubble and go into conservative conservative communities and remember what the stories are which amplify and illuminate that community, right? And to talk about how rigor, how spiritual practice, how prayer shows up in my life, and not only to give lip service to those values, but to talk about how those values inform my practice as well. Mm. And then when I'm in the social justice circles to talk about what stories animate and amplify those circles, right? So to be to be able to speak multiple stories and multiple languages. I, I mentioned that my dad's a, my dad was a travel agent, um, and after he passed, I realized that I kind of have my own version of speaking multiple languages the way that he did. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually realized that the way I keep notebooks and little scraps of paper that have writing on it everywhere is because he did that for his clients, you know? And I think about what does it mean to be a translator of a shared intention as opposed to an either-or thinker who says, this is my bottom line. This is my, I mean, I, th I think one of the most damaging, jam damaging things we can do is to be self-righteous, right? And, and to say, hey, this is where my thinking is coming from. Where is your thinking coming from? Because ultimately, the decision that we make, the thing that we make will always be co-created. And yes. I guess I'm very curious to hear from designers, you know, and from makers of any kind how they see the thing of what they make as being co-created with the people with whom, you know, they're making it, whether they're funding it, whether they're collaborating in it, whether they're living in it. So how do you acknowledge that this is just one small part of the design process? I am just one small part of the musical process. I'm not all of it. And sure, owning the fact that I have worked my entire life for the opportunity to get in the room with someone who will make the design or music decision with me, absolutely own that, be confident in that, but acknowledge that our intention is to create something much bigger than anything we can ever imagine. So how can we be facilitators of that process as opposed to my way or the highway? I absolutely love that. Um, I love that that last line too. That that alone is a fantastic take. I don't know why, but I have a craving to hear your take on AI. I'm sure you've spent some time on it. I certainly have. Mm. I'd love to hear what you're thinking. Yeah, I mean, I the, the 
as as you're talking about it for the first time, I thought, you know, here we are, are talking about artificial intelligence. And I wonder if really we should be talking about amplified intelligence, mm. you know, like what does this technology allow us to amplify in our world? And to what end does the robot technology help us amplify deeply human values and intentions? And I actually think that AI can serve to, I mean, I think we're at an inflection point, right? Where we're, we're, we're seeing AI sort of make certain human processes or mechanical mechanistic processes redundant because they just do it better combing the entire internet to figure out how an organization, how a protocol could run more smoothly. But we are still in the agency of deciding what that protocol intends to accomplish. And so maybe it comes back to intention mm. of saying that we can't cop out on intention, right? We can't cop out on the deeply human. Yeah. Right. And, and, and the care and the compassion, but, but not just care and compassion, but the thing that we want to make, the thing that we can imagine that we can bring into the world, the thing that only we can make and create AI, I, I, I hesitate to task AI with creating belonging, but rather to say like, Hey, how can we think about belonging differently? How can we establish this sort of technological process so that we can be more human with each other and ultimately liberated from the device um, that that helped us get here. So I think in a sense, there is, an, there is a pathway, and I don't know what the pathway looks like yet, but there is a pathway to becoming more human through this process than we could have imagined before. I, I am absolutely feeling that. And I actually haven't heard this take yet, but I love the logic of it that I'm connecting with the idea that it allows us to zoom in on intention. And, you know, cause I think we, we often, whether, no matter what it is you're doing, whether you're simply living or you're doing a marketing campaign or you're, you know, working on your garden, whatever it is, sometimes we get so lost in the work that we we don't pay attention to the the why and the intention and and I agree I think this this if anything helps us zoom in on intention and that becomes the differentiator that becomes the thing right not the work itself but what we're trying to achieve and how nuanced can intention become That'll be interesting. Yeah. You know, I th this is a funny aside. I love following cooking channels on Instagram. And there's a guy, I'm forgetting his handle right now. I'll drop it in, you know, in our in our show notes here. Um, but he asks AI, um, what are the top 50 cheeses he should eat in Paris? Right. And so he's going to eat 50 different cheeses in 30 days. And what you see is he's informed by AI, but he's still the one eating the cheese. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. You know? <laughs> and, and, you know, then he asks, you know, he, he came up with this brilliant idea of, um, 
eating, uh, you know, living in Barcelona for a month. I mean, and he's the kind of person who can live in Barcelona and Spain for a month. Um, And, and, uh, you know, lives in Barcelona for a month and eats 30 different tinned fish, you know, recipes in 30 days, right? And it's like the idea came from AI, but the execution is still human, Yeah, right? And if the technology can help us appreciate what is beautiful about our world even more, then how wonderful is that? Let's do that. Yeah. Then let, let's let's get to that. Let's get to the let's get to the fish and cheese, man. Like <laughs> I want to get there. I think we all want to get there. Uh, that is an awesome story, <laughs> and uh, it's, that's a good follow. You know what? If I if I'm able to find that person, I'll put that in the show notes. So VJ, is there is there something? Is there anything maybe that you had hoped to share today that I that I didn't ask? Is there a question mm. you love answering? Well, I mean, I I love the conversation, Doug. It's been wonderful to talk to you. And I think that the the call, the call to all of us is to step into a deeper life, right? To step into a life of curiosity and wonder, which so outweighs the fear. So outweighs the fear, right? And I think to learn to be aware of voices in the world which tell us to live small. You know, whether those are voices of scarcity or fear or I don't know about that. And that that's tough. That's tough because I think what happens with any group of people who love us or who we love, whether that's our family of origin or intention, right? There's always a fear of change because if you change, then who am I? Mm. Right. And so we, we get into this place of needing to rely on relationships that support our growth. Right. And to find what I begin to understand as people, as mirrors, right? How do you find the people who hold up a mirror to who you are, hold up a mirror to your very best self and are willing to call you out on when you're not being your best self. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, and to, to be willing to hear that feedback and to be that same kind of friend yourself. And I, I feel like that is the process of developing the language to articulate the world that we care about most, the world that we want to create, um, regardless of what side of the political aisle you're on, regardless of what values illuminate you, um, we can all still live from that why, from that deep intention. And I I think that the, the variegated um, expression of intention in the world makes our world a better place. Like we should all get better at being better, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I, and I, I think, I think that that allows us to live in a world that is so full of possibility and wonder. Be curious, be curious. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, this is beautiful. You, you are beautiful. You're. Thank you. you Doug. Know, I, Thank you. That's very, very kind of you. To say. This was amazing. Um, BJ, thank you so much for joining me. Of course, Doug. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I mean, just just to just to say, if there are questions that come out of this conversation that listeners have, very easy to find on Instagram. I love meeting new people. Um, you can find my handle in the show notes and look forward to connecting with everyone.
more design stories, visit us at OFS.com slash imagine a place. From OFS, I'm Doug Shapiro. Thanks for listening.